Привет, бабушка! I'd like to tell you that means good morning. It's good to see you. Let's worship together. What it actually means is, hello, grandmother. Are you crazy? I have diarrhea. <laughs> is actually what that, that means. Some may think it means snap, crackle, pop, but it is not. It is, it is Russian. Uh, it's all the Russian I learned while I was in Kazakhstan for three weeks in college. I got to take a a mission trip over there. There were seven college students from Texas that were selected. Uh, somehow I got picked, and I got to go over there and spend three weeks in Kazakhstan in uh, summer of 1989. And so just a year or two ago, and I was there. And uh, it, was, it was an interesting trip to, to have that. Uh, those phrases came in very handy at different times uh, throughout my trip. But I'll explain in a moment. But... Uh, <laughs> It was interesting, though, because right after we were there, this was 89, uh, the communism was still there. And right after we left, down comes the wall. Away goes communism. Coincidence? I don't think so. Uh, not that I have any of that kind of power. But that happened. That was, that was an actual thing. I have some pictures. I'll show you some pictures of my time there. Uh, here's the first one. Uh, that was me. And, uh, yeah, I know. You, I, you can't even tell I had hair then. But... Uh, that's one of those Russian hats. See, I, I thought that was called a babushka. And so I ran around going, babushka! And it means grandmother. Uh, I had a grandmother on my head, apparently. And so that was the hotel we stayed in. That was my room right there that I was in. You can go to the next one. And these were some of the students that we got to hang out with while we were there. There was a people's festival going on. And so people from the United States would go over there. There were about 200 of us total, um, but seven college students. And there were teachers that would work with their teachers and construction with their construction and doctors with their doctors and, and all the different, different types of things. That's how we would go together and we would work. Now, they thought it was a people's festival. We were there on a mission trip. It was all Christians that went. So it was interesting to see. We had to be very careful. Some of our interpreters were actually CIA or uh, um, KGB agents. And so they were... Just one of those things we had to be careful with and understanding because of communism that was there. But we'd go hang out with these kids, and they would, they'd come to our hotel at all hours and knock on the door and, hey, come, come. That's the only English word they knew. Come, come, come. And like, ah. And so we would go, and, and my roommate and I, we'd get back at 1 or 2 or 3 in the morning and, and just running around having a great time. And then we had to get up at 6 and go serve all day. Like, you can't do that for an extended period of time. So they would come knock on the door. Come, come. I said, Uminapanos. Ooh. So you don't go anywhere if you have diarrhea. So they're like, ah, I feel bad for you. So you stay there. So that phrase really got me out of a lot of late night stuff. Going to the next one. And on my bucket list, I wanted to meet a guy named Igor. No, Boris. Sorry. I wanted to meet Igor, uh, Vladimir, and Boris. This was Boris. So I got to meet a guy named Boris. I was pretty excited about that. So you could tell I'm happier than he is about the situation. But uh, he could care less. But that's what it was. I think I have one more. I have one more. Yeah, and this is a uh, guy on the left. His name is Lance, and then me on the right. These are where we got our, our sweet robes that are here. It's awesome, made out of camel wool and camel hair. Uh, they're hand-sewn, all these robes. And the two ladies in the picture there are interpreters. Uh, you can see they're happy to be with us, too. And, uh, and so we, uh, we have our fanny packs on. Like, we, we were rocking it, I'm telling you. And uh, we, we had such a great time while we were there. I remember we went to a movie uh, with the kids that were there. Like, oh, we're going to have a movie day. And so I'm going to a movie. Well, we go into this basically a, 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 just a little bitty storefront, and we go in, and inside there is a TV with a VCR, and they're showing Rocky. I think Rocky, which one he fights the Russian? Is that like Rocky Five? Is that what it is? Four? 
I don't know. They all run together. But anyway, so we were there. You can put the girls back up there. This is a good story. And uh, and so they would would they would play the movie in English. And all those kids would be there, and then they would go for like five minutes, and then one of those ladies would interpret what happened for the last five minutes. That was their movie. This was a great thing. And it was so funny because I'm thinking, he's fighting the Russian. Like, this is not good. I'm in Kazakhstan. Like, how is this going to be good? And then he starts fighting, and they're all going, Rocky, Rocky. And they're cheering for him. Like, yeah, because they didn't like the Russians, because they were oppressing the Kazakhs. And, and I thought, what, isn't everybody a Russian? They're like, no, we're Soviets. That's like coming to the United States calling everybody a Texan. Like, it works great in Texas. It doesn't necessarily work great everybody else, right? And so they wanted Rocky to win. And they wanted, it was just an amazing time that we had. And so we had these, these cool robes and, and, uh, and they're awesome. And, and we found out later that they gave them to us. Their, their parents made these, uh, is what they did. And they sold for $500 each U.S. And yet they gave them to us to say thank you for the time we spent there. And it was just an incredible experience to have that I was there. And, and what prompted this as I was, Thinking about um, this, this sermon and, and where we were going and, and what God wanted to do is, is the idea of what Rowan was talking about last week is that we are called to go, right? Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like that's what we're called to do is go. And, and, and our go looks different for everybody, right? It may be go across the room, go across the street, go across um, the, the, where you work, go across the classroom, go across... The city, go across the state, go across the nation, go across the world. It's about going. And where is your go? And coming off of spring break, the question that we're going to get asked a lot is, where did you go for spring break? And in the context of what he was talking about, going to all the world to make disciples, well, I, where'd you go? I went to the beach. I went to the mall. I, I went to Netflix a lot. Like, what's our answer for where did we go? Because going is so much more than just physically traveling to a location. We go into all the world and, and preach the gospel. And we had a team from our church in Rockport this last week. We had a team in Mexico this last week. And they're all back and had some, some amazing experiences there is what they were going through and all of that. And it was interesting. And uh, I can take this off now. It's really hot. And, uh, and so you're welcome to check it out afterwards. But aren't these cool hats, though? I have like three of them. They're called Tubiteka. So I took them. And uh, <laughs> it was awesome. And so this week, uh, for me, it's been all about mulch, uh, is what's happened in my life. My son is a Boy Scout, and they sold mulch, and then you spread mulch for people, and that's how he makes money to go on his trips. Uh, and so Amy and I go and help. And so we, we're spreading. Yesterday, it, it felt like the 10,000th bag that we were spreading for this week. And, um, and there was this lady in Paloma Lake, and, and, and we, were, we were serving her. And right as we were finishing up, she came to the front yard where we were, and she just said, hey, before you go, will you pray for me? I'm like, yeah, sure. What, what's going on? She said, well, my grandson, he's 11 years old. He's in the hospital with pneumonia. Uh, his parents have got a divorce now. His dad's remarried. And it's just devastating to him. And he's really struggling with some things. And she's just hurting over her grandson. So we just circled up right there in her yard and prayed together. And, and God just had to tap me on the head significantly hard um, with that because... I went to spread mulch so I could go home and watch basketball. God said, no, I sent you to spread mulch so you could spread the gospel. And so often I miss what I'm really supposed to be doing there. I think I'm there to spread mulch. God said, no, you're there to spread the gospel. I think I'm there to run track. God says, no, you're there to spread the gospel. I think I'm there to participate in this. No, God said, you're there to spread the gospel. And, and maybe it's just me, but we miss out on that 
way too much that's going on. And he always has something more if we will look and listen and obey to what he's telling us to do, because that's how the gospel is spread. It's about our obedience to what he's asking us to do. It's like a wildfire. Right? And the gospel is meant to blaze like a wildfire. It's supposed to, to blaze up and just go. It's supposed to take over. It's supposed to overwhelm and what's happening. That's what the gospel is, like a wildfire. But a wildfire needs things for it to sustain, for it to go. And there's four things I want to look at. Then we're going to look at scripture and apply those back to us. But the first thing, it needs the right conditions. Right? The, the atmospheric conditions and different things. It's got to have the right conditions for it to happen. Number two, it's got to have fuel to burn. Whether it's trees or brush or whatever's going on, it's got to have the fuel to burn or, or it's not going to last. Uh, number three, it's got to have a spark to get started. Whether it's a lightning bolt, a cigarette, a campfire that's not all the way out, whatever it is, there's a spark that gets it going. And then the fourth thing is an accelerant to make it blaze and go even faster, to accelerate the process of happening there. And so that's when a wildfire is going, when it's blazing, when it's taking over, those four things are evident. And I want to look at scripture today. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. And we'll put it on the screen, but we're going to look at a story where the gospel spread like wildfire and then see how that challenges us to live that out beyond today for ourselves. And so that's where we're going to go on that. Acts chapter 4, let me give you some context of where we are. Earlier in, in the book of Acts, Peter and John hanging out, Peter heals this this handicapped guy, this beggar guy, and he heals him. And, and everybody in town heard about it, saw it, and they're like, whoa, you just healed this guy? That's amazing. What's going on? And so he begins to talk. A big crowd shows up, and he begins to tell them and give glory to God, not himself. Because they came and said, you're awesome, Peter, you're great. He goes, no, 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 it's not what I did, it's what God did. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's the power that healed this guy. Give the credit to God. And so he says all these things there. Well, that doesn't make the religious leaders very happy. So they kind of get ticked off at this because, number one, they're stealing their glory. And they want credit for things that happen. And so they're going to try to squelch this is what's going on. So we pick up the story, Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Now you know the context. It says, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, so they all got together because they can't do anything by themselves, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, while they're telling them this story. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They're telling about the power of the resurrection. And they are disturbed by this. They don't like this. So what they do? They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail till the next day. So we don't like that you're talking about Jesus. We're going to grab you and put you in jail. It's kind of late in the day. we got plans tonight. We'll deal with you tomorrow. You spend the night in jail which was really against the law, but we don't need to go into all that. But they, they put them in jail till the next day because they want to try to figure out what they can do with these guys. What's going to happen? So verse 4, though, tells you, But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now that's men. That's not even the women and the children. So while Peter and John are in jail, the story is still going. The story is still spreading. The gospel is moving among people, and 5,000 men plus women and children have now believed. They didn't just go to a show, pay their money, and say, that was a great show, I'm going home, and nothing's going to change. No, they believed their lives were different because of what they heard about Jesus. They didn't go home the same, and it was affecting their town. And so these religious leaders didn't like it, but yet 5,000 plus women and children were there doing that. And the gospel is spreading, it's going on, and, and so they're more upset now. Because we thought, we throw them in jail, everything will stop. No. It actually starts spreading even more. So they have another meeting, and they bring Peter and John, and they say, by whose power did you do this? What name did you do this? Well, that just opens the door for Peter. I'll give you a name. His name is Jesus. And you know who he is? He's the one you guys killed. 
But you know what? God raised him from the dead. And the same power that raised him from the dead is what healed this guy over here. So give all glory to God. Oh, they didn't like to hear that. They shouldn't ask that question. But that's what it is. And I'll tell you, that is the gospel. When it talks about, hey, the gospel needs to be spread. The gospel is what Jesus did. It's not what we've done. It's what Jesus did. And the gospel is now being spread that's there. And so he tells them this, and verse 13 is their response, which this verse just kicks me in the tail every time. It says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, how do you see someone's courage? That's convicting to me, especially when it comes to courage for Christ. What does that look like? These guys were declaring it from jail. That's what it looked like for them. Knowing they could go back there, but they didn't. They still declared it. They saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, this is not one of those Marvel movies where things start getting really bad, and so someone shows up with their cape and their tights or their suit of armor or their giant hammer or whatever it is that they need to show up with and come and save the day. No, these were ordinary, unschooled men. I can relate to that. That guy's kind of ordinary. He's not real smart. All right, that's me. I, I can own that. That's exactly what these guys were, but they were still astonished they had been with Jesus. See, that, that convicts me. I'm just not going to lie to you. I wonder how many times when I'm not up here at church being a professional Christian, but I'm living my life out there, how many times do people recognize and go, I need to take note, that guy's been with Jesus. I recognize that guy's been with Jesus. It's not near as often as I'd like it to be, I guarantee you that. Because my life doesn't always demonstrate that because I'm too busy pouring mulch instead of spreading the gospel. And so here they were, they had seen this, and they, they, they took note that these guys had been with Jesus. And, and, I, and I want us to live a life that people go, there's something different about them, and the difference is that they've been with Jesus, and it's obvious. Not because you're perfect, but because He is. It's not about us living this perfect life so people go, oh, you're perfect, you're a Christian. That's not, the, that's not the, the reputation we need. We need the reputation that says, I'm one beggar trying to find help another beggar find food. Let's go do this together. But I found where the bread of life is. Let's go. Like, that's the difference. That's what it should be. It's not that we're superior or better or smarter or anything. We just know where to find Jesus. And we've got to help other people get there. So... This is what happens with them. And so they have another meeting after this. And they're getting all upset again. And they're trying to figure out, what are we going to do about this? We don't like this. We don't like the way things are going. We have to change it. So they move to verse 17. And this is interesting what they said. Here's their question. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, what is this thing? We've got to stop this thing. This thing we don't like. This this virus that's here, this infection, this terrible thing that we don't like. We've got to figure out how to stop this thing from spreading any further. It's already spread far enough. 5,000 men plus women and children. We need to stop it now. And the thing is Jesus. They are literally trying to figure out how to stop people talking about Jesus. That, that's a difficult place to be for a Christian. And that's what they're facing right there. We must, we gotta do whatever it takes to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people. We must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Listen guys, you've done enough damage. We don't like what's happened. So you need to stop talking about it. Don't tell anybody, especially using the name Jesus. Stop it. Well, I'm sure that's gonna make Peter stop. So then they called him in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Here's how Peter and John replied. Peter and John replied, 
We're so sorry. Please forgive us. We'll go away. Oh, wait, sorry. That's not what it says. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. You tell me what I should do. What's the right thing? Listen to God or listen to you. You be the judge of that because I know what I'm going with. I'm listening to God. I'm not listening to you. You're just a man just like me. I'm not listening to that. Then he said this, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. My question to us is this, because we have no problem telling people about the great things that we see. Our vacations and what our kids do and all the things that happen and our accomplishments that are there. We love to speak about the great things. We cannot stop talking about those things. But when is the last time something that God did in your life was something you couldn't stop talking about? I refuse to stop talking about what God has done for me. Yeah. We got to be in position for him to do things before we can talk about what he's done. If we position ourselves outside of the will of God, well, well, well God didn't do anything for me. Well, where were you? We got to be in right position. I'm more focused on the basketball tournament and getting the most done so I can watch TV than I am this lady who's by herself in her house crying over her grandson. And I'm blind to it. So God had to have her talk to me instead of I talk to her. I'm ashamed of that. She knew I was a pastor. And I told her. But that's just conversation. That's just me getting through the mulch. And it hurts to think about that. So here's what they do. Verse 21. After further threats, they continue threatening them. Words are cheap here. They let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Young fella. But he validated the healing because of his age. He wasn't some guy that just showed up in town. They go, look, he's healed. This is somebody that grew up there. They knew him. And people were praising God, giving him the glory for the healing that took place in this guy. So they couldn't argue it. They couldn't push back against it. So they had to let the guys go. Gosh, we don't know what to do. We'll just tell you, don't ever talk about that again. Like that's going to do any good. So here's how they responded. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. The response was prayer. That's so different than my response. My response would have been, see, I told you, you can't get me. I got God. I'd get all cocky on them. But their response was to go and pray. Here's what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And then they quote Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in, uh, plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Like David had already prayed that before, and now they're repeating that prayer there. Then it goes on to say, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Now, there's been a plot going against him for a long time, and it ended up killing him. But he ended up raising from the dead, right? They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. But here's the good part. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I don't think I would pray that. See, Lord, all this stuff. Now, consider the threats and and do something to them. 
Consider their threats and make them die or, or get sick. Consider their threats and move them away. Consider their threats so you can give me money to pay off people so we can win. Consider their threats and protect me. See, that would be my reaction would be something out of fear or revenge. But not there. Their reaction is this. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Make us more bold. Don't make us more fearful. I don't think anyone ever laid on their deathbed and said, I wish I would have been more afraid. I wish I would have been more bold. And that's what they prayed for. Make us more bold. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving people. Keep helping people so you can get more glory. That's what I want you to do. And then after they prayed, verse 31, the place they were meeting was shaken. Like literally the foundation is shaking. And look what happened to them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. He answered their prayer. Their response to threats was boldness, not fear, not revenge, but boldness. See, there's a gospel wildfire happening. The question is, will we get to see it happen? Do you want to see it happen? Do we want the gospel to catch fire in Round Rock and surrounding areas? Do we really want that? Because if we do, those four things for a wildfire to be ablaze are the four things that need to happen with us. And here's those four things. Let's talk about them. One, we talked about the right conditions for it to happen, right? The right atmospheric conditions for it to happen. You know what that right condition is? It's prayer. Prayer is our right condition. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And I don't want to miss out on his working because I'm too busy doing it myself. Because I know better. Because I got this. I've done it a long time. God says, I'm still better at it than you because I made you. So the right conditions for us to see the gospel come alive, it starts with prayer. The unceasing prayer in our city every second Monday of the month. That's, that's our 24 hours. If you want to get on board with that, come on. Well, all the spots are filled. It's okay for more than one person to pray at a time. That's allowed. Jump on time, find an hour, find a half hour and say, I'll commit to that. I want to be on that prayer team because I want to see the gospel come alive in this kind of stuff. Maybe you set an alert on your phone. If you follow me on Facebook, you see every Wednesday at 3.33, I post a prayer for our youth ministry. Because I'm committed to praying for our students because I love these guys. That is my heartbeat. And so I want to pray every time. Jeremiah 33.3, that's why I picked 3.33. Jeremiah 33.3 says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't know. I recognize I don't know much. I want him to show it to me. So I call on him every Wednesday at 3.33. And it's amazing how many people have texted me or messaged me saying, hey, I know you pray on Wednesdays at 3.33. Will you pray for this? Could I ask for prayer for that? It's just interesting that that happens all the time. Every Saturday at 10.23, I pray for Allison Bodel. She was our intern from last summer. She's on a world race mission trip, 11 countries in 11 months. And it just so happens that today she's in Kazakhstan. I thought that was pretty cool. We were texting yesterday, and I was telling her about the message, and, and I texted her at 1023. Her birthday is October 23rd, so 1023 is when I pray for her. And, and she was just grateful for, for that. So I, I don't know what you need to do to create that atmosphere of prayer in your life, but let's make that a discipline that's going on. I, I get to pray for the Dragon Baseball team right now. I'm chaplain for them over there. And I love the chance to do that. Something incredibly cool happened this season right here. Had one of the, one of the players um, lead chapel this last week. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to lead that chapel. And it was great. And he did a great job and he talked about some cool things. But after chapel was over, I had two more players go, I got next. 
I got next. Because they know they got a chaplain praying for them. They know they got coaches praying for them. They know they got parents praying for them. So now they have a boldness that they've never had spiritually. Yeah, they can knock the heck out of the ball and they can outpitch anybody in the state. And they're going to be a great team this year, but they're going to be greater men. And I love that. And that's because of prayer. It's not anything I can do. That's prayer. So the right condition for it to happen is prayer. Number two, we need fuel to burn, right? You've got to have fuel to burn. If there's nothing to burn, it's just going to, it's going to flame out. So the fuel to burn is literally this. It's the gospel presentation. It's the willingness to tell the story. But do we know the story to tell? Can we tell people what Jesus did? Can you tell people what Jesus did for you? No one can dispute your story. Maybe they dispute historical facts that you share from the Bible. No one can dispute what Jesus has done for you in your life. Are we willing to tell that story? Without Jesus and what he did, there is no story to tell. I was, I was talking with a good friend yesterday, another mulch guy. And, and, and he came out of his house and we were visiting. And he said, hey, I don't know if I've told you this or not yet, Alan, but uh, last month I got diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis. Young guy. I was a little bitty girl. And, and I said, no, man, I hadn't heard. I'm so sorry, man. That's going to be rough. He goes, honestly, I can't wait to see what God does with it for his glory. Boom. I'm here spreading mulch and you're spreading the gospel. Golly. Talk about convicting for this guy. And, and I'm so encouraged by him in that. And, and the story of Jesus is what we have to tell. That's the reason Amy and I told our story on September. is because we want God to get the glory and there to be hope found in him. That is the fuel to burn is the gospel presentation. Are we willing to open our mouths and share? Number three, we need a spark. Someone's got to spark that thing, right? This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spark that makes it come alive. The Holy Spirit is what sets it into motion in that way right there. It's our ability to listen and respond when the Holy Spirit prompts us or nudges us or kicks us in the tail or whatever it takes to get our attention. See, God loves us so much, he'll do whatever it takes to get our attention. And our response to that can be the spark for the gospel presentation to catch fire. What the enemy intends for evil, God can use for good, right? You are not defined by what you've done. You're not defined by what has been done to you. You're defined by what's been done for you. And that's the spark, is the Holy Spirit pushing. But then you need an accelerant. That's the fourth thing, right? So we've got the, the, the right conditions. We've got the fuel. We've got the spark. What's going to accelerate this thing? What's going to make it go from a spark into a giant flame? What's going to make that happen? And this is probably something you're not going to like, but I believe it to be true. The accelerant for the gospel is persecution. That doesn't feel very good. Well, look at the stories in Scripture. They're all over the place. Peter and John are just one example of this. See, we, we struggle with this idea because we've created a culture about everything is most important that you feel good. You don't feel good, take a pill. Do this, take that, whatever. And they, they, that's not always the answer. I'm not against that. But that's not always the answer. Sometimes God makes us uncomfortable, so we'll go follow him. Sometimes God's allow these things to happen. So we don't get it because we're not in China or Pakistan or anything like that that's happening. In many of the countries that Rowan was even talking about last week, they get it. The first martyr, I was hearing a pastor from China speak, and the first Christian martyr in 2019 was a 10-week-old in utero. The mom would not back down from her face. They drug her blocks from her house to the police station where she was beaten so bad she lost the baby. That was the first martyr in China in 2019. See, we don't get that. See, the the persecuted church in the world prays for those persecuting them. We tend to pray against people that get what we want. 
It should not be that way. We, we get afraid of persecution. We don't like pushback. We don't like someone to question. It's going to happen. The gospel is offensive at times because it says this is the only way. And we want to say there's any way to have go however you want to get there. Just get there. No, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to the father but through me. And there's a boldness that comes with that. And that doesn't always feel good to people on that. See, persecution is what teaches us perseverance and forgiveness. And it's amazing to think about those people that pray for the people that are that are persecuting them in that way. And, and, and even James 1, which we're fixing to kick off on Wednesday night, students, it says, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. That's that's hard, but it's truth. And, and if we want the gospel to accelerate, persecution will come, not comfort. When we're comfortable, we're less likely to speak. But when we're persecuted, we're going to either stand up or we're not. And we got a choice to make. And so... It's okay when hard times come. It's okay when people push back against. That's okay. It gives another chance. Because look at their response was this. The response to persecution was more boldness. We're going to throw you in jail. We'll keep talking about Jesus. How many times in Scripture did the guys get thrown in jail and they end up leading the jailers to Christ? They're singing songs in jail. And they end up leading him to Christ, baptizing his whole family when he comes in. Multiple times. Jesus on the cross. What happened to the guy next to him? Led him to Christ right there. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Out of persecution comes acceleration of the gospel. And we've got to be willing to go through that. One of the directors of the Voice of the Martyrs said this. He said, these are the most exciting times in the history of the world to be part of the church. The problem is that's not true in America. If it were, then... Why did more barbecue places open in Texas than churches last year? Why is it that churches are closing and barbecue restaurants are opening? I'll tell you what it is. It's the smell. People are drawn to that smell of the barbecue. I can tell you right where Pokey Joe's is, Rudy's. I can tell you right where these places are, man. Because that barbecue is good. I want to be a part of that. What do people smell when they come to church? And I'm not talking about a physical smell. Especially middle school boys. I love you guys. What I'm talking about is, are we the aroma of Christ? Are we putting off something that's fragrant enough that people go, I want more of that. I'm drawn to come back to that. I walked out smelling like that. I promise you, you go eat barbecue. People know you ate barbecue for the next three hours. But when you come to church, do people know you've been to church for the next three hours? Do they know you've been with Jesus? See, persecution is a hard thing for us to understand. And I'm not saying that I understand it like they do in other countries. But go back to my trip to Kazakhstan. We spent three days and two nights at a camp. And I have a picture of the camp here. We can throw up there. And that's the camp we were at. That's the opening place there. And then back beyond are fields and cabins and different things. And the next picture has some of the kids that were there. And, and we're hanging out with those, those kids. And we get there. And there's four of us that went. Two guys and two girls of our team of seven. Four of us went to this camp. And, and we show up and, and the first thing we do is get out and, and our directors are talking with their directors and so we go play soccer on the field. And we're having a great time kicking the soccer ball around. I'm yelling, babushka, babushka. So all these little kids are grandmas. And so we're having just a, a blast doing all this stuff. And our directors leave. That we'll see you in a couple of days. And all right, this is great. And they take us in. They show us the ping pong tables and, and show us the cabins. And then we go to dinner. And we're having a great dinner together, laughing, having a great time. After dinner, they send the kids here, the girls here. And they take me and Gary, who was with us, into the office. And for the rest of the night, they yelled at us. 
What does your mother do? What does your father do? How much money do they make? What town do you live in? What kind of car do you drive? Just berating us with every question under the sun. In, in, in as good an English as they could to talk to us. And this lasted until about 11 o'clock and they finally sent us to bed. We get up the next morning. We go to breakfast. I'm like, girls, did this happen to you? Because I got an issue with this. And no, we had tea and cookies with the girls. They treated them fine. So after breakfast, what happened? All right, girls, y'all go over here. Y'all go to guys back to the office. And we spent the entire day in the office again, yelling at us, screaming. At us. I never put a gun to my head, but I guarantee you in that moment, I'm like, God, you say you're everywhere. You're not here. I do not sense you are here at all. You have left me. You are not omnipresent anymore. And it was hard. I did not enjoy that time being yelled at. Me and Gary, I'm glad I had Gary in there. It could have been even more scary than that. And so we finish up that day. The next day we go, go to bed. We get up the next morning. Same thing. The girl's like, we had a great time. We had these coloring sheets. We had... <sighs> and so we finish that and our directors come to pick us up that day. And so though they show up and there's about 600 kids at this camp. It's a huge camp. They teach them communism and how to march and how to salute and all this stuff. And, and they, they put them into three different rooms, 200 kids in each room. And, and so our, yeah, in that. And so I'm in this room with about 200 kids in there and I'm supposed to tell them something, teach them something. Well, we had those, those power bands, if you remember back in the day that had the different color beads on them. And you would use that as how you share the gospel. And so, you know, black is sin and red is the blood of Jesus. And he washes it white as snow. And, and you get the gold bowl for heaven and the blue one for baptism. So we kind of, I just walked through that with my interpreter and, and, and with a really bad attitude as well. And so I'm, I'm doing this and, and I'm sharing the story about all the beads and then, and then do you get this? And, and I'm, I'm probably, there's no problem. I was not in a great mood and I probably didn't say it with a whole lot of love. I said it was a whole lot of conviction and directness to them. But... And so I was telling them and uh, thinking, I just don't want to be here anymore. Well, at the end, I say, all right, here's the deal. If you want Jesus, no other gods. You cannot have any other gods. There's no Allah. There's no any other God. It's Jesus. If you want Jesus and Jesus only, then I want you to raise your hand. 150 kids raised their hand. And I'm like, well, sure they did. They want American stuff. Like, why would they not want American stuff? That was my attitude about it. And, and I'm, this happened in every room, right? And so we pray the prayer and da-da-da. And I walk out and the other guys come in from the other rooms and we're talking. And I'm like, hey, so how was it in your room? The other three rooms combined had a total of five kids raise their hand. And God said, see what a moron you are, Alan? I don't need you. You and your bad attitude. You and your feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> Look what I can do in spite of you. And reminded me that he had never left me or forsake me. He put me in a spot that I needed to be in order for the gospel to be shared. And, and where those kids are now, I don't know. That's between God and them, I guess. But I left feeling a whole lot different than when I got there. And that was a difficult thing for me to walk through. And so when we, we finished that, they sent the kids back. And we were about to leave. And those guys said, I need you to come to my office again. Really, we're going to do this one more time before I leave? Is that what's going to happen? He pulled us in there, and he said, we, this camp's been around 100 years or whatever. He said, we'd like you to sign the Book of Honor. I'm like, okay, it's just a little journal. Everybody signs it. What's the, the last time it had been signed was 35 years before that. And he said, today I gave my life to Jesus, too. <laughs> I am a moron. <laughs> God is so awesome. And he did all of that in spite. I was facing what I thought was persecution. It was an accelerant for the gospel to be shared at that camp in a communist state. And maybe that was part of what made the wall fall down. I don't know, but that's God's doing, not mine. 
But I'm telling you right now that that persecution is the accelerant that's going to get the gospel to spread. It's been said that if you set yourself on fire, people will come watch you burn. And it's time for us to be on fire for the Lord so people are drawn and the gospel can be shared. Now, what does that mean for you? How are you going to respond? I don't know. I'm going to ask the band to come on up here, and we're going to take a chance to do that. So we're going to jump into this, and, and you have a chance to respond and what that looks like. Maybe you need to just start with a new attitude of prayer. Maybe that's the atmosphere that you need to create. I don't know. Come pray. Come hit your knees here. Hit your knees there. Do whatever you need to do. Maybe you need some intimacy with the Lord. We've got the Lord's Supper over here. You can come and take that. We've got a cup of Jesus over here with the, the bread and the cup. Come and do that. Maybe you need someone to pray over you. Our prayer partners will be available at the front. You say, I just need someone to pray over me. That's fine, too. The thing we can't do is blow this off. The gospel's too important. There's too many people that need Jesus. And, and, and we have it too easy in our country. And we assume that we're Americans, so we're Christians. No, we're not a Christian nation. We're in desperate need of Jesus. We're in desperate need of people to go spread the gospel and not mulch. Let me pray. Yep.